Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patient Talk Podcast, delivered to you by Omni Health Insights. In this month's episode, I'll be chatting with David Fischel, who is Chairman and CEO of Stereotaxis, a US-based robotic technologies company in a treatment of cardiac arrhythmia. I was curious to learn about robotic surgery and how the physician's role is changing, especially with the emergence of AI, big data, 5G, and other innovations. Today I'm joined by the CEO and Chairman of the really exciting robotics company in healthcare today by the name of Stereotaxis, and my interviewee is David Official. Welcome, David. Thank you. I understand that you use currently robotic technologies to guide catheters safely into patients. I've been seeing videos around this. I mean, they all are very highly impressive, big bulky equipment, doing amazing things, almost like the other stuff of science fiction. And, and the scene I keep thinking of is a scene from one of the Alien movies. I think it's uh, Covenant, and where the uh, protagonist is surgically operated on in a capsule. I guess that's where we're headed as a species. But um, based on the videos, I see that uh, you use magnetic technology to guide these catheters. And, and a surgeon is sitting at a screen operating the entire procedure using a mouse. Can you explain a bit more about how this works? Yep, that's exactly right. Unfortunately, still a lot of unmet medical needs in the world. And so we're trying to push the envelopes uh, of the future of medicine, uh, specifically in enabling minimally invasive catheter-based surgeries to take place with greater precision and with greater safety. We build robotic systems that allow physicians to take direct control over a catheter's tip using magnetic fields, using very precise magnetic fields. If you think about endovascular interventions more broadly, where a physician is using a catheter navigated through the bloodstream in order to treat a range of conditions, one of the primary challenges and weaknesses of the current mechanism of action of manual catheters, handheld catheters, is that a physician has control at the handle of the catheter, which is typically near the leg at the access site, but the procedure is taking place a meter away at the tip. And that distance between where the physician has control of this flexible device till the tip where the procedure or the therapy is actually being delivered leads to limited precision, limited stability, limited ability to navigate their safety risks because of those. And so we really try to overcome that by, again, using these magnetic fields. Magnets are these amazing magical qualities of physics, but we use these magnetic fields to some extent, you can imagine them as being invisible fingers allowing for direct control of the catheter tip. Thanks. Well, that sounds really amazing. And typically, what are the, uh, the surgical procedures in, in, involved? So as I understand it, it's used for uh, irregular heart rhythms, for instance, and so it's inserted into the heart. Or can you explain more about that? Yeah, exactly right. So there are a broad range of interventional endovascular procedures treating things from the lower limbs up till the brain. And generally, as a mechanism of action, we expect our technology to be applicable broadly in the human body. But we're still a very small company. And so we focused on one clinical application to date, which is treating heart disease. And specifically, when a patient's heart doesn't beat regularly, when you have an arrhythmia, there's a type of procedure called cardiac ablation, where you navigate a catheter in a minimally invasive fashion through the bloodstream into the heart chambers, and then you actually deliver energy, ablative energies to the tip of the catheter to isolate some of the misbehaving heart muscle cells. And so that fairly widely accepted therapy 
And we have experienced already in over 100,000 patients treating them with arrhythmias. So on that basis, given the high precision of the robotics and, and magnets which aid in type procedure, is there any possibility of maybe using the technology on a, on a different you know, part of the body? So you know, one that requires greater precision in the context of complexity. But I'm sure that there are parts of the body, maybe the throat or the abdominal areas, you know, which might require something like this. We're definitely thinking about other applications, and we're a publicly traded company, so we have uh, quarterly calls, public calls, and we've spoken about at the end of this year, hoping to be in a position to be able to share more about what we're actually doing to address other clinical applications. When I think about other applications for the technology, I categorize them into endovascular within the bloodstream applications or endoluminal within other lumens of the human body. Endovascular is much more adjacent to what we do because a, a cardiac ablation treatment is endovascular. And there you really want to think about what are the benefits that robotic magnetic navigation or robotic technology provide versus traditional handheld catheters or handheld interventional devices. And precision is one, stability is another, reach, the ability to navigate tortuous anatomies with complex twists and turns and curves is a third. And then the fourth is that the catheters that are navigated with our technology can be very soft and gentle, uh, improving the safety profile for patients. And so you really want to think about which clinical applications are best benefited by those mechanistic advantages. And endovascularly, there are a range of procedures, but I've spoken sometimes in the past about a neurointervention, for example, to treat stroke as a field where, unfortunately, many stroke patients do not receive therapy because accessing a clot is difficult with all the twists and turns of the arteries leading into the brain. And there's some coronary and cardiac applications that similarly have complex difficulties of accessing the area where therapy would be delivered. And so those are kind of areas where I think you can think about on the endovascular side. And then when you mention things like the throat, that's a little bit less adjacent to what we do. So we do have thoughts there and, and sometimes have kind of discussions and some work in endoluminal applications. But there is this emerging field or concept of natural orifice surgery. We use the natural orifices of the human body to treat GI disorders or pulmonary disorders or ENT, ear, nose, and throat disorders. And so that's also definitely somewhere where we think there's a value to the application. Again, as a small company, we have to kind of move in a systematic march forward, but either alone at some point or in collaboration with others, we expect to apply this technology to other clinical fields. That's really interesting. You mentioned pulmonary disorders. Given that the lungs are associated with COVID-19, and this, this might not be a relevant question, is there any potential application for your technology in, in maybe you know, fighting COVID? And seeing as there's a lot that we don't know about the disease still. So a little bit kind of a broader than just speaking about treating pulmonary disorders is that COVID had also many kind of cardiovascular disorders. And so there was actually a very interesting publication, peer-reviewed publication, almost a year ago in probably May or June of last year coming out of Italy, which, if you remember, was kind of hardest hit by COVID in the initial wave. And they talked about treating patient who was in ventricular storm. So um, one of the more severe arrhythmias that, if not treated in an acute fashion, could kill a patient, but treating patient in ventricular storm who had COVID. And so kind of we're particularly good at treating these complex arrhythmias. And the other point they were making in the publication was how 
typically in a surgical procedure, the physician is standing right over the bedside of the patient. And so for several hours, you're in very close proximity in the operating room. And using our technology, the physician's actually seated behind a large screen computer control station and doing the entire procedure from there. And so that distance also and being able to do the procedure from the adjacent room allows for protection both of the patient and protection of the physician in a COVID environment. And so that was kind of one of the interesting publications that came out last year on our technology. I think from a cardiovascular perspective, the unfortunate increase in some severe arrhythmias due to COVID is something that we definitely uh, hope to be helpful with in terms of actually kind of navigating the pulmonary space and diagnosing and delivering therapy in the pulmonary uh, space. That's something that right now we don't have any devices that would be navigated there, but there's emerging interest in doing more in that field. And so that's a field that we would like to be able to address in the coming years. Okay, thank you. That's really interesting. You mentioned a really uh, powerful point, which is that physician is based at a distance from the procedure. So sitting in an adjacent room in front of a screen, how remote can they be? I mean, is, is there any possibility of maybe the physician being based in a different country or a, maybe a, a neighboring continent altogether? Maybe sitting on the other side of the world enabled by something like 5G. And furthermore, you know, we're looking at a tablet or, or a smartphone. This might sound, you know, like the stuff of science fiction again. It's not so, uh, so far off. Technologically, it's doable now and it's actually being done sometimes. So uh, there's been a few demonstrations for the last few years of procedures being done remotely. We had about a year ago, there were physicians in Italy and physicians in Portugal that collaborated on a procedure together. The physician in Portugal helping treat a patient based in Italy and the physician in Italy helping treat a patient based in Portugal using these types of telerobotic technologies. And so Stereotexas has connectivity solutions that enable this type of remote collaboration across long distances. There was also a procedure two, three years ago. There were two procedures, one from the UAE treating a patient in Finland and another from Miami treating a patient in uh, the Netherlands. And so um, there have been several demonstrations of that capability. I think it's less a question of technological capability. Our robot and our connectivity solution does allow for it. It's more a question of societal acceptance and kind of the broader legal reimbursement liability, again, kind of societal considerations. And so that's something that kind of uh, we as a society have to think through how we accept it, under what settings, how do we ensure that it's only done under the right conditions and with the right safety profile. But there are physicians who are trying to pioneer and push that forward because ultimately the promise of telemedicine in the operating room is taking operating rooms out of being these kind of isolated silos into being actually kind of workspaces where you can benefit from the input of other physicians around the globe who might be able to help you treat a patient better and also in enabling good access to therapy in places that otherwise might be underserved or in emergency situations. I think during the webcast, which was live procedures, these remote procedures webcast last year between Italy and Portugal, I think the physician in Italy described a, a time when he did actually use it from his home on a patient at his clinic in the hospital because it was a young woman who had a, a very dangerous arrhythmia and was uh, helicoptered into the hospital. And to some extent, by the time he would have to drive an hour or so into the hospital, it might have added additional risk. And so he used the remote capability 
to treat that woman then. And, and so there are kind of use cases that I think really would do a benefit to patients and to medical care. Yeah, no, thank you for that uh, comprehensive answer. It seems like there's, a, there's an ongoing conversation to be had around the world in terms of what's acceptable and what isn't. You know, going back to this uh, word again, acceptance uh, that you mentioned. So uh, how do physicians uh, respond to this? I mean, like, are they generally accepting of your technologies? Because I, I suspect that some might feel a sense of um, pride being lost because they like to use their hands and they like to directly operate on a patient manually. You know, there must be a tremendous sense of pride there and, and pride that's being lost to the introduction of a machine. You know, that said, they still have an element of control, obviously, you know, sitting before a screen. But I guess the analogy is almost like having a video game as opposed to, a, you know, directly operating on a patient. So how, how do they typically respond to it? Yeah, that is a comment or a kind of a philosophy that is out there and that we do here. But I would also say that it is actually, we're not taking away the important skill of a physician. So to some extent, you can think about physicians having two very key skills. They have what you described as kind of the hand skill, or I describe as the mechanical skill of getting tools at their disposal to do what they want, right? Moving things that they want, executing things that they want. But they also have a far more important cognitive skill, which is understanding the patient, understanding the anatomy, understanding the disease, trying to diagnose in real time during the surgery, how best to treat the patient. And that's really kind of an important when, when you think about a physician, that's what you care about, I think, most. The cognitive skills. Do they understand medicine? Do they understand how to treat a patient? And so when you think about really the role of robotics, it actually enhances that skill. So you reduce as much as possible the mechanical aspects of the procedure. You make those easier for the physician. You don't require them to put as much of their focus and strain and effort on the mechanical side of the procedure. And by doing so, you allow them to really open up their brain and spend all of their energies and effort on the cognitive side of the procedure. And I think that ultimately, that's a benefit both for enhancing the profession, enhancing physicians that profession, and it's obviously a benefit for the patients they treat because the more that a physician is not distracted from standing for four hours wearing a lead vest and getting tired or getting antsy, and the more that they're doing the procedure in kind of in comfort with all of the data right in front of them under their control, uh, that really, again, allows for the enhancement of the cognitive aspect of their profession and allows them to, to hopefully deliver better therapy. There's a lot of talk around artificial intelligence at the moment, especially in the pandemic. So um, interest in this has, has surged. Is there any potential for using AI in some sort of fashion as part of your technology? So I'm, I'm guessing that uh, you know, presently you've got a physician sat in front of a screen. Maybe you can have the AI intervene at various points or potentially remove a physician from the equation altogether going forward, although they can still be there in a strategic manner, I guess, in the background overseeing the entire process. So what are your thoughts around that uh, using AI? So you're right. AI is gradually becoming a bigger reality in this world, and it has beautiful aspects to it. When I think kind of about AI, maybe I'll step back and, and talk a little bit more broadly. I think about this concept of digital surgery, which is how do you digitize and, and through digitizing kind of provide kind of several kind of key advantages to the surgical procedure. And robotics really serves as an enabling and necessary foundation for this digitalization of the operating room. When I think about kind of digitalization of the operating room, I categorize it in a few kind of buckets. And one is telemedicine, 
where you can't really have telemedicine in a, in a full fashion without robotics. And so that is kind of one of these foundational stones within digital surgery. Another is kind of the integration of various imaging sources and kind of taking a lot of patient-specific data and making sure it's available to the physician in real time in an elegant fashion during the procedure. And that really allows for patient-specific therapy to take place and to make sure that kind of a physician has all the information available in front of them. Then kind of we think about automation and how do you make a procedure more automated where we're based on machine learning, based on patient-specific data. If you've made it less mechanically difficult, where the physician can now, at this stage, let's say they're moving a the catheter, they're moving the devices using a mouse rather than having to stand in a specific position and hold their fingers and wrists and arms in very specific ways. And you can kind of take it one step further where you say, let the physician design the procedure on the computer. Let them say they want this and this to take place, and they definitely don't want this or that to take place and to design the procedure on the computer. And then really let them oversee the execution with the execution being done in an automated fashion by the computer. And so we've built some automation capabilities into our robot already, but they're still in the in the first innings, in the very early stages of, uh, of what automation ultimately should look like. And then the last kind of category of digital surgery that I, we think about and work on is this concept of kind of big data. And how do you take the insights from thousands of procedures that take place and use that to inform either the computers or the physicians of how perhaps to do things better? You know, kind of we think about it in that broader context, but artificial intelligence or machine learning, those are tools that allow you to kind of to drive digital surgery forward. You know, I'm guessing that there's an opportunity for uh, the physician of tomorrow to interpret the analytics and, and make des- decisions based on those numbers, which I guess is a, is a slightly different approach to uh, today. Will there be much training involved or some sort of you know guidance? Because this sounds like a bit of a, a paradigm shift in a sense. You know, some physicians will be more embracing of a new role and others might be you know, mourning the loss of whatever, you know, traditional job they they had. How do you see it? I think the shift is like one we've seen across society in many industries, in many areas, right? You're shifting the physician from being right now, they are both to some extent an, an operating room physician, a surgeon. They're being both scientist, designer of therapy, an artist in some ways, but really a scientist is probably the best term. And then they're also a mechanic, right? And what you want kind of to shift the profession is to one of being really fully a scientist, fully a designer of a procedure, fully an artist in in understanding uh, kind of how best to to tailor the therapy for every individual patient. Um, And you want to kind of reduce their need to be a mechanic. I think that ultimately improves the profession and it improves medicine. And yeah, that it will be a shift and medicine changes usually over, over many years, over, over decades. We try to support that shift by also training fellows, kind of the, the younger, the newer generation that's entering the field. So we started a, a couple of years ago, Robotic Electrophysiology Fellowship Program. Uh, electrophysiology is a subset of interventional cardiology that treats heart arrhythmias. And so um, during a traditional electrophysiology fellowship program, the physicians can also be trained in robotics in a parallel track. And we've by now graduated over 30 fellows over the last two years, and we have about 40 are enrolled currently. And so uh, we do try to train the next generation 
in the technology and, and how it can uh, be beneficial in their practices. But just coming back to the present again, how has a pandemic impacted your business? And in a similar vein, what new products do you have planned for this year? The pandemic generally has been difficult. Hospitals have suffered financially and hospitals also were very pressured and, and obviously preoccupied with addressing the pandemic. And so overall, we saw kind of uh, declines in procedures, like I think uh, almost all medical companies um, saw in the world. And also, it is a more challenging environment for hospitals to purchase our robots. With that, we just received FDA clearance for our, our most recent robot exactly a year ago, March of last year. And so uh, that has been kind of the major innovation more recently. And we've seen kind of increasing uptake now of that robot, despite the challenges of the pandemic. And we're also developing a next generation catheter, the actual interventional device itself. And so we're creating a more advanced catheter that we expect also will enter European markets uh, later this year and uh, enter a a formal clinical study in the US uh, later this year. And so those are some of kind of the the key innovations that have recently come out that will be coming out soon. And we're working on a range of innovations. So again, as a young company, there's a lot of progress still to be made across every aspect of the technology, whether it's the robots, the interventional devices, the whole concept of digital surgery, as I described before, with all of its subcategories, interventional devices that would allow us to address other clinical applications. And so we're busy. We're busy on multiple fronts. Thanks once again to David Fischel, who is Chairman and CEO of Stereotaxis. If you're interested in reading more about the latest in robot-assisted surgery, head on over to insights.omnia-health.com slash technology.